We live in a world today that uh, needs people to step up. People who would go above and beyond their normal routine. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about heroes, you know, somebody who does some death-defying feat or does the impossible. I'm just talking about everyday people. People with integrity. People who will answer the call when there is a need. People who look around and kind of see the world as it is and recognize that it's without without our response, without our stepping out, without our uh, accepting opportunities for change and transformation, without us responding to God in our lives, the world tends to just drift, doesn't it? I mean, I think about the world we live in today, and it's built on power, corruption, and apathy. And maybe apathy is the most dangerous of all characteristics in our world today, you know? Because when apathy sets in, whether it's in your, your faith or your friendships or your job or whatever it is, motivation goes out the window. Yes, so what if that task isn't going to get done? It's not on my watch. So what if this isn't going to change in our family? It's not my fault. So what if other people are... And you, just, you hear the apathy of our world and how it, how it permeates every portion of our life. And that's why it's so critical to us as Christ followers to keep a passion, a sense of obedience and calling and longing to listen to what God has to say in our lives through Scripture and the people around us and be able to say, yeah, God, pick me, use me. How can I be a part of the change? We're jumping into a series called Fierce. And we're jumping into the series because a lot of times we, we do a lot of messages and a lot of series. And most of those series tend to come from characters and stories out of Scripture who are male. If we're transparent, uh, the Bible was often written in contexts and times that is male dominant. And so what happens by the, uh, the amount of messages that we do, we oftentimes don't take a moment to pause and to really get a chance to showcase how God is working in all people. And so we thought Fierce would be the great name of a series on women. So for the next four weeks, we're going to go through conversations, passages about women who make a significant difference. So uh, officially, we're going to call it Ladies Week, I guess, at church. So can I get a, a what, what from the ladies in the house? Oh my goodness. I, you know, this is maybe why we need to do a series on women, you know. Women in church should be able to get loud. So can I get a what, what from the ladies in the house? Well, we're going to be doing a seminar for the next three weeks on how to lose your dignity in church. You know, I mean, it's anyway, I've seen Facebook. I know we all know how to get a little crazy. So let's get a little crazy at church. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's, that's not in my notes, but that's something you'll laugh about when you're sitting at Applebee's this afternoon. Anyway, okay. And here's what I want you to know, though, as we're unpacking this conversation about ladies throughout scripture, it's this, this just understanding as we're looking at it from a, a biblical context, that while women have not always been prominent, they have been preeminent. Now, let me define those two words and how they're different. Meaning not prominent, meaning they're not always in the forefront. The, the Bible is predominantly written in a male-dominant society, but they are preeminent in the fact that women have always been utilized and just as distinguished as men in various roles throughout Scripture. When you see it, God uses men and women. And oftentimes when God is using women, it's in a sense of great clarity and calling and great correction of what's trying to happen either through the nation of Israel or through the church as a whole. 
And so we need to kind of walk through this a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, Deborah today and her role within Scripture and the significance that she's had uh, as one of the judges throughout Scripture. But I, I need to make this disclaimer. Sometimes uh, we, we have a chance to, to have in this room a variety of ages. Today's passage is not PG, PG-13, either one. It's R. I'm just going to tell you that, okay? It is a graphic passage. Now, some of you are like, well, I didn't even know the Scripture had graphic passages Men and women, let me tell you, there are some crazy passages in Scripture. This is one of the most violent passages of Scripture. If you read it and you understand what's going on, you go, how do you get a message out of that? Well, you'll, you'll get a chance to see today. So I want to encourage you, if you've uh, not had a chance to take your kids to kids' ministry today, we have an outstanding children's ministry with age-appropriate education and conversations that will not open passages like this or the Song of Solomon or whatever else we may want to read from in the days to come, Okay. So here's where we are. We understand that everybody has ability and that people are gifted and called by God. But the challenge becomes oftentimes in the culture of churches, are people available? Do you respond? Do you say yes when God taps on your shoulder? Or do you allow it to go to someone else? Here's what I want you to understand is that God does his work through your availability, not just your ability. So, so let, me just, let me just challenge you real quick. In your own journey, in your walk, many of us have abilities. Uh, Many of our abilities are expressed through our careers, through our occupations. But the truth of the matter is, we live in a world that may be getting more and more out of control. And God's going to be asking us to step up and step out. And so this, this passage is pretty appropriate to see a very difficult, evil, corrupt moment in Israel's history. And to realize that Deborah steps up and steps into an incredibly difficult time and leads the nation of Israel back to its freedom. Now, the context that we're going to be reading from is Judges chapter 4, okay? So Judges chapter 4 actually happens in a time where Israel is now about to and is living in this time where they should be receiving this land of milk and honey. They call it the promised land, right? And the promised land was something that Moses was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of captivity. Uh, Joshua actually led them to a point where they saw this land flowing with milk and honey, and they saw these great giants. Uh, Ten of the people that went in to go look at that area said, there's no way we can do this. But Joshua and, and another came alongside him and said, no, but we can do this. We can make this happen. But in the constant cycle of Israel is this journey that says, God, we want to follow you. Then they... They kind of drift, they begin to get rebellious, they begin to worship other gods, they begin to chase their own habits, and eventually their drifting leads them into a state of rebellion that ultimately God usually allows them to be handed over to captivity. And that's what's happened. They're on this journey out from this captivity, and now they're gone back into captivity under under the Canaanites, and now they're living in this time where their corruption, their rebellion is is causing them to cry out to God that they would lose this oppression, that they would live in the freedom and the life that God had called them to. Now, this is before Israel has a king. And so the the modern-day leadership was found in judges, in judges within their culture. And so as we're looking at the book of Judges, which is about these accounts, Three, uh, the first three chapters deal with male judges and their involvement, and they have all passed by or gone on, and now Deborah is going to emerge in this story. And the villain that we find in this message is a person by the name of Jabin. And Jabin is the ruler of Canaan. 
And he has empowered Sisera to be the overseer, the commander of his army. Now, Sisera, if this, was a, if this was a play at high school or whatever, when he walks in, everybody should boo and hiss. You know what I'm saying? He comes in and he has one of the most powerful armies known in, in all, of land, all the land. He has over 900 chariots. And chariots are the equivalent of tanks back in the day. They have the ability to go into battle and they, also, they were covered in steel and swords. And so they would charge through large amounts of men and women and they would just mow people down. Okay. Told you it was going to be violent, right? And so they have 900, almost 1,000 of these chariots, and they have 300,000 soldiers. So they have enormous numbers of warriors, and they have the equipment to level most of people, most uh, armies in civilization at that time. And this is the oppression, the overwhelming odds that nothing is going to change for the nation of Israel. And this is what Deborah emerges out of. Here's what it says, starting in Judges chapter 4, verse Verse 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold him into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Hesherith Haggim. It's hard for me to say. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron. And the cruelty oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for their help. But Deborah, or as it says, now Deborah, a prophet, wife of Lipidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, commands you, go take for you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them to, up to Mount Tabor. I will, uh, I, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Rock said to her, if you go with me, I'll go with you. <laughs> but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I'll go with you, Deborah says. But because of this course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah sent with Barak to Kadesh. So, oh, excuse me, so Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Uh, there Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali and 10,000 men and went up under his command. Deborah also went with him. Okay, so let's explain a little bit about uh, Deborah in and of herself. Now, evil times demand godly people. They do. When things get despair, become despairing, when things get dark, these are the moments that God wants to use his people to step up to be both a witness and a light to the world around them. And this is what's happening in Deborah's day. Now, Deborah, as a judge, is gifted twofold. She's gifted as a judge where people from the region are literally seeking out. She's not, she's not connected to some court. She's not connected to some city. She's actually out in an area under a palm tree. Nice office, right? She's under a palm tree, and people are literally coming to her for her wisdom, her advice, her insight, just like they did in Moses' day. And so people in these moments of despair and oppression are seeking a source that not only gives them great decision-making, great wisdom or courage, 
but maybe even captures a voice of God. And that's the other ability that Deborah has. She is a prophetess. A prophet or a prophetess is someone who is gifted by God to be able to speak truth to a group of people. It's not necessarily a fortune teller, even though sometimes prophets do cast uh, things of the future. But it's literally oftentimes a calling of repentance, a calling of change, a calling of motivation, a calling of equipping. But they are called, they are gifted by God to speak into a group of people so that people would respond and live rightly before God in the world that they're a part of it. That's the ability of Deborah. Sound judgment, sound decisions, but the voice, the mouthpiece of God, she is empowered to do that. Now, here's what I love about this. Because we know that scripture is often written in a a male-dominant culture, scripture is trying to speak very clearly to the roles and to the gifts of these people. Understand, some of the context that happens when people read the Old Testament is they say, well, because because it's in a male-dominant society, that means there must not have been any men to fill, fill the role. Understand this. When you read Judges 4, all it says is that God appointed her. Okay? So in my opinion, God's not trying to say, because there was no suitable men. God's saying, if we're going to make this change, this is who we're going to use. And what God chooses, I'm down with. How about you? What God chooses, I'm down with. How about you? Yeah, okay. So God sees her as the most appropriate fit to lead the nation of Israel at this point. God gifts people. God calls people according to the need, to the situation, to the scenario. Now, the reality is the backdrop of the day, nobody was really following after God. Nobody was really stepping out in their responsibility and their leadership. But God had gifted her in a way that she could speak truth to people and had great discernment and wisdom to make decisions. But if we look at Scripture for what it is, there's also a calling out that happens here. Now, the portrait of the man in this picture for the nation of Israel, who is to lead their nation of 10,000 men, makes a statement. Deborah steps up and says, God has called us, go get your men, we're going to go to battle, here's what it's going to be. And with all the cowardice he can muster, he says, well, if you go, I'll go, but if you don't go, I won't go. Thank you for leading our military with such charisma, you know? I'll fight for that guy, right? It's almost like he's calling her out. He's not tipping his cap to the one that God's appointed. And so Deborah says, well, certainly Of course I go. This is what every great leader does. When we go to battle, we lead in the charge. We're a part of our military. We're a part of our crew. We go together. We fight together. But just understand this, Brock. Because of the course that you want to take, you're not going to get any credit, and it's all going to fall to a woman. Now, on the playground, we would say they got burned. Right? You understand what I'm saying? Or for those of you from a decade before, you got served, okay? She is calling out. This is a throwdown in her own army where she's looking and saying, this is what God's called us to do. This is what we need to do. And so we're going to lead this. Brock calls her bluff. She calls his bluff, points it back to God, and begins to step out and step up to what God's calling them towards. That's a real shift. God leads them towards this journey. And they go and they begin to head towards this battle. Why? 
Why does Deborah have so much confidence? Why is Deborah so willing to step up? Because she gets that this battle is not about her, it's about God. That God has called her to this, God has appointed her to this, and because all she's doing is being faithful and using her ability in a way that honors God, she steps forward. We may say it this way, divine appointment happens because of divine provision. We recognize that when God calls us to something, God is also going to provide what we need in those moments. God's going to gift us, equip us, care for us, lead us. Doesn't mean it won't be hard. Doesn't mean it won't be a struggle. Don't, doesn't mean it won't be different than what you want. But Deborah recognized that the battle that's before her is ultimately not hers. It's what God has called her towards. It's who God has called her to be. And through that, we begin to realize, we begin to remember some of the most powerful movements of humanity through scripture happen through some of the most faithful moments of people. When people just say, yes, I will follow. Yes, I will go. It took great wisdom and character for Deborah to listen to the, to the plan of God, to call out Barak and to be able to uh, have challenging faith in front of others to follow. But look what it says following up in verse 14. And then Deborah says to Barak, go, this day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak uh, went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and he fled on foot. This is, this is kind of funny to me, right? So we have this impossible odds of a battle, right? Sisera has 300,000 soldiers. Israel has 10,000. But this shouldn't surprise us because when we read scripture, we see impossible odds, great moments of faith, David and Goliath moments. But this time, Deborah's leading the charge. The confidence of God, the confidence of a nation rests under her leadership. She challenges Barak, sends him out, and goes with him in this battle. And ultimately what happens is this great military power is leveled. 300,000 are slain by the sword. Hills, roadways, open fields, covered in bloodshed. And Sisera runs away. He runs off. He's AWOL. He's nowhere to be found. The great mighty one has run away. So let's see where he goes. This is the passage that I'm leading towards saying, you may have to answer some questions for your kids. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Said, said to him, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent. She covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a, a skin of milk and gave him a drink and then covered him up. This is Sisera's command to this, this woman who's being hospitable to him. Stand at the doorway of the tent and if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there? Say no. So you get the portrait of what's getting ready to happen. A great warrior has run off to an opposing person's tent. She's assuming she has to be hospitable. He's saying, please protect me in this moment. 
And then this is the verse that you'll probably never memorize and post on your bathroom wall. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer, and she went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground until he died. Why are we not inspired by that? Doesn't that just move you? Don't you just feel the Holy Spirit just washing over you? Oh, that's so comforting. That's a violent passage, is it not? This is graphic. I once went to a youth conference where uh, they, they, they used to do these morning openings to try and get the kids motivated. And so they'd try and memorize different odd scriptures every day. This was one of the passages they tried to memorize. That's weird, right? Let me point out something of what's happening in this moment. God has called the nation of Israel into this land flowing with milk and honey. He's, he's promised this freedom and redemption. He's promised this new life to them. But in the midst of this, he meets, you end up hearing about this woman uh, named Deborah. And Deborah's name actually means honeybee. It's one of the variations of it. And then we also hear about this woman named Jael, who really it's kind of a, a goat keeper kind of name. And you begin to realize that God appoints two women to help lead the nation of Israel back to a time of freedom, to a time of oppression. Cicero runs into JL's house. He's dying of thirst. Give me some water. She gives him some, some milk. He tries to find his protection. He finds his own destru- destruction in the midst of this at the hands of a woman, by all practical means, could have been chicken, afraid. This is a military man, uh, someone of great might and power, somebody who had most likely oppressed and taken advantage of their nation. She seized it as an opportunity to throw off the hand of oppression. So while Cicero is hiding under a blanket, drinking his milk, and in a tent, J.L. allows him to go to sleep because of exhaustion and assassinates him. Now, here's why this matters. Because God had promised the people of Israel that they would be led to a land flowing with milk and honey, right? And so by God's provision and God's might, he begins to restore the nation of Israel by raising up Deborah, the honeybee, and Jael, the goat. Now, this is nice for you if you're in the last, last round of Jeopardy and you need to win. But I think what scripture is reminding us is that when our battles are overwhelming, God raises up exactly who he needs to do what he calls us to. And God provides when even we don't see his provision. And so here it is, a stark contrast to the masculinity of scripture that God intentionally inserts one of the most fierce leaders who speaks on behalf of God, makes decisions on the, on the behalf of God, and helps lead people on the behalf of God so that they might know the promise that they were once promised. When you see that, you recognize that who Deborah is really pointing to is the picture of Jesus. She becomes one of the portraits to remind us that Jesus will come, will bring us great freedom, will overthrow our oppressor, 
will risk his life and give his life so that we might find new life. Deborah is called out, appointed by God, and empowered. And so when you look back at scripture like that, and you see something that's dominated in one way and that stands out in this moment, I think it's God's voice stepping into history to say, feel empowered, feel equipped, be liberated, and know that God is the one who raises up all people. He gifts all people. So as Romans 12 would say, if you have a gift to lead, then lead. Use your gift. God does his work through your availability, not just your ability. God gives both men and women the same spiritual gifts. It's not like men get one set of gifts and women get a lighter, more delicate set of gifts. God gives the same gifts to all of us. God's spirit empowers those gifts by need, by cause, by moment. God is the one who empowers us and gifts us. So there's, there's no more male or female, no more rich or poor. It's not based off of your married status, single status, divorce status, hookup status. It's not by whether you're blue collar or white collar. It doesn't matter. When there is a need and a moment and an opportunity for God to leverage his people for his glory, God will appoint the right people, regardless of their gender. So let's move to a time of response. We want to step into this fierce series because uh, sometimes we just get into a rut. Saying the same things, pointing to the same things, leading to the same conclusions. And oftentimes when you think about a, a, a series about women, uh, maybe you think it's going to be filled with potpourri or maybe it's going to have special music sung or maybe even some of you are going, oh, we have gals singing on stage. It's because it's a women's series. It's, no, they, they can flat out sing. That's why they sing, if we want to be honest, you know. But I was sitting here the other day getting ready for or experiencing a response time and, and I was watching how people were responding in the moment. And a, a little girl got up and she walked to the front here and she went to go take communion. It's where we eat the bread and drink the juice. We're reminded of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. And we, we take that moment to reflect. And she went up and her parents followed behind her, just you know, probably 15 seconds behind her. And she kind of ran to the table looking excited and so she began to be a part of it, and she grabbed the bread and grabbed the juice and waited. Mom and Dad came up, and they ate the bread and drank the juice, and then they kind of walked straight back to their seats, and she made a beeline for one of these prayer benches. And as she paused to pray, I just began to, to watch her for a little bit because she didn't, she didn't just pause. I mean, like, she prayed. This kid, this kid sat there in prayer for a long time, and I was like, wow. I wonder what she's praying about. I wonder what's on her heart. Maybe she's celebrating something in her family. Maybe she's celebrating something about her parents' relationship. Maybe she's got something that's really pressing in deeply and she's, she's asking for it from God. Uh, maybe, she's, maybe she's just thinking about what's going on in the world today and she wants some of it to stop. But I began to be inspired by this little girl and her prayer life. It was just a moment 
I assume it was spontaneous. I assume it was natural. But as a dad, I began to think about it differently for a moment. Bear with me on this. I'm raising four boys. The only woman in my house is my wife. And so for a moment, I just said, I wonder what it would be like if I raised a little girl. What if I had a, a girl in my home? I don't know. I, 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 I couldn't come up with any. I would hope that I would, I would do well. But I began to think about the values that I want my boys to have and the way we teach them. And I thought, what I... Would I pour into my daughter the same way I pour into my boys? Would I teach her to dream? Would I teach her to ask things about her life and God the way I ask my boys to think about their faith in God? I mean, I know how I, how I teach my boys to honor women, to empower women, to celebrate women, to respect, to, to what. But I had to honestly say, I, I can't give an answer. I, God didn't give me girls. So then I began to think about it. I mean, we're, we're, we're listening to Judges chapter 4. And my mind kind of goes to this spot. If you were to make a Christian movie, you know, we think about the Christian movies and the violent ones that have happened, and there's, there's blood everywhere, Right? The crucifixion of Jesus. Maybe we think about just general war movies. We think about the bloodshed and the explosions and the grit and the character and the value that we reach to. And then we go, but if we had the same thing written about Deborah, would we write it the same way? Would we see the blood and the sweat and the tears and the valor and the character that was taken? Or would it be a softer version? That's why we want to call this series Fierce. Because there is nothing gentle. (laughs) There's not much delicate about war. And yet the grandeur and the valor, the risk and the honor the character to command and to lead with integrity is empowered, embodied by a woman who points us to the great character of the one that gives his life for all, the death of all deaths. So I wonder, what would it be like for Danny to raise a girl? I don't know. but I do know what it's like for Christy to raise boys. And when I look at our home and our relationship, I can see all the pivotal decisions I've made in my life. You know, when I gave my life to Christ, when I decided to follow into ministry, when I uh, decided to date Christy and when we decided to get married. And, and I can tell you from the moment we joined together, the most significant God-honoring decisions that we've ever made in our life started with her words of, I've been praying about something 
I think God's stirring up something different in us. Ladies, forgive us when we've pushed things to the side. When we've kind of stepped out of the way and we haven't empowered or encouraged or equipped. And may you know that God has made you fierce for his glory, for his honor. And as men, we are privileged to follow in that wake. Let's pray. God, we follow because it's you that really ultimately set the pace. And we surrender our lives because ultimately it's because Jesus who gave his life for us. But as you have empowered us, as you have equipped us and encouraged us, God, may we raise our hands in availability and say, God, use us. The world is so dark. The world chokes out hope. And God, we let it happen sometimes because we sit back. But God, may we take the courage of Deborah, the clarity of her calling to risk all and lead all so that the freedom you intended for your people to live in a land of abundance, of great freedom, that we, we might know that you provided through them. God, we love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. If you're new with us today, we're gonna begin to play some songs and people will begin to spontaneously move around the room. Some will come to these benches up front and they will pause in prayer for a moment or a minute or a while. Many of us will go to these tables. It's an open invitation to anyone who has a relationship with Christ. There are six tables around the room. There's a candle so you can kind of head to that direction, but you'll eat the bread and drink the juice and be reminded that it was because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we are now empowered over the power of sin, over the power of death, forgiven for who we've been equipped and called to follow after him. And many of us will go to the four given response boxes that are near the exits that maybe you'll put in a connection card to ask for prayer. Maybe there's a decision that you want to make in obedience. Maybe there's maybe there's a decision that you need to make. But many of us will give of our tithes and our offerings through the Give app or through the Give and Respond boxes because all that we have and all that we are is leverage for God.